You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church. So good to see all of you here alive and awake on a beautiful Sunday morning. Hey, let me just say this from the get-go. If you normally attend second service, can I just ask you to keep attending second service, right? (laughs) Here's why. Okay, here's why. So our first service, like consistently, we are maxing out on capacity. Today we had almost 300 people here. We pulled out second cha- um, more chairs. We had every chair in the building, I think, is what Pastor Marcus told me. And so, listen, I actually asked about 30 people if they would make the transition to second service. So I want to ask you, hey, keep sleeping in on Sunday mornings, all right? <laughs> Take your time, read the paper, get some coffee, go to Starbucks. No, go down to Populous, I mean, and get some coffee there. <laughs> and listen... Uh, Take your time getting here because our first service is so full right now. We need to grow this service. And if this service grows further, then we will have to go to a third service just so you know. But I wanted to just kind of make that plea, make that big ask with you. The Lord is doing some really great things and we're so excited for uh, this season. Well, listen, uh, we are in a series entitled Jesus in the End Times and uh, we're going to be in this series for up to, into the month of December, and this is really the study of eschatology, and in the Bible, or rather theologians and Bible teachers use this title to actually say that this is the study of the last things, and it comes from the word eschatos in the Greek, which means last. So this is a very vast topic when it comes to the Bible. Now, I'm going to do my best again to kind of cover the the big picture of the end times over the next several weeks, but we're going to dive into some scripture and to some things that we see not only happening in our world right now, but of course what Jesus said will happen in the future. Now, my prayer for this message series really is twofold. Uh, Number one, I want us to live ready. Like, that's my primary Prayer is that we would live ready for Jesus' return. Number two, my, my prayer is this, is that we would long for his return. You know what I mean? That we would have this passion, this strong desire, these affections on the inside of us that would long to see Jesus face-to-face, face-to-face as we prayed earlier, right? This Maranatha prayer, come Lord Jesus, we'll be praying that this Wednesday night. We want to see you. We want our our faith to be made sight. We want you to wrong every right in our world because it's so broken. There's so much pain and turmoil and violence. Jesus, would you come back? If you were with us last week, I talked about four obstacles to our faith during the end times, and we We were in Matthew chapter 24, which we'll actually be back there again today. But in Matthew chapter 24, I want to give you a 90-second to two-minute review of these four obstacles that Jesus says that will happen to our faith in the end times. Number one is deception. 
deception, that many people would be deceived during the end times, that Jesus, Jesus spoke that there'd be many false prophets and messiahs, that they would come up. And we see that happening now in the age of new belief systems, of course. And one of the biggest deceptions in our world right now is this idea that my feelings can dictate my truth. But listen, we know that our feelings change every single day, and we simply cannot always rely on feelings. And, and if you're here this morning and your, your life is, is dictated by the way you feel, let me just say this, and I say this with compassion, um, God has so much more for you than a life ruled by your feelings. Amen. He wants to fill you with his spirit, that you might be led by him. Listen, our feelings, listen, change from day to day. And although our feelings do play a huge part of how we shape our identity, it is not the end all. It is not the end all. Another big deception that we see in the church is this social justice gospel, right? It's this, this idea of everything being categorized into oppressed and oppressor. You are an oppressed, you are oppressed, or you are the oppressor. It does not resemble biblical justice because it's more of a postmodern neo-Marxist way of thinking through things. And I want to just tell you that that is anti-gospel and anti-biblical. It's anti-gospel because there's no room for forgiveness or reconciliation, right? All there is is penance. In other words, you have to do the work. You have to do the work of right standing with that other Person, It is a works-based righteousness when the gospel is about grace-based righteousness, right? His grace, we are made well. We are made in good standing with our Father in heaven. There are ideologies that seek to emphasize our sexuality and our, and our, and our gender nowadays. We have the, the LGBTQIA ideology that is emphasizing sexuality as God and as a religion almost but those things are simply false narratives. Listen, the, the true story is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that's controversial, but this is the truth of the matter. Jesus said many would be deceived in the end times. The next obstacle to our faith is apostasy. What does that mean? It means a falling away from the faith. A falling away from the faith. We know this as deconstruction right now. Deconstruction. Can I just tell you, many in our culture today, they are being applauded and celebrated when they abandon the Orthodox faith. They're coming out on TikTok and people are, are, are clapping their hands and well done, way to go. And this is the culture we live in where so many are falling away from the faith they once held dear. It's apostasy. The next obstacle is apathy. Apathy rampant in the church. I mean, rampant in the church. Just apathetic, indifferent. I don't really care if I do this. Or I could, it, you know, I could read my Bible. I could not read my Bible. It doesn't really matter to me. I could go to Radiant. I could go to the Catholic Church. Ah, it doesn't really matter to me. I don't care. Whatever you want to do. I'm whatever, man. Like, it doesn't matter to me, right? Even, even in the church, even in the church, there is an external obedience that happens by many Christians with no heart affection. And, and, and if you're someone who grew up like, you know, very, very legalistic, maybe Baptist or Presbyterian or even Lutheran or whatnot, listen, but you have no heart effects, affections for Jesus, hey, I just want to say to you, you, you might want to check yourself, right? Like examine your heart because if there's no internal affections for God, what are you doing? Like are you just kind of going through the motions, right? Apathy, 
apathy. Finally, Jesus talked about fear. Fear. That fear would grip people in the end times. Now, we just turn on the news, and I get it. Like, there are some scary things going on right now, right? Can we say yes to that, right? Amen. There's some scary things. We can agree to that. However, listen, however, we cannot live out the purposes and the calling of God on our lives if we're just trapped in our basements, storing up toilet paper till 2097, waiting for the apocalypse. All right? Listen, go ahead and, and, and get your canned goods. Go ahead and buy your shotguns. I'm all for that. But listen, you got to be out busy doing the Father's work, not held by fear's grips. Amen? Amen. So Jesus spoke about these four obstacles that we find uh, in the end times. And today I want to talk about seven signs of his return. Seven signs of his return. On that note, let's just take a moment. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into Scripture. Lord, we love you. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would just uh, make manifest your presence to us, that you would open up some of our blind eyes, that you would soften some of our hardened uh, hearts. God, that you would draw people near to you. Those who are found in sexual sin, Lord, I pray that they would repent and turn away from that today, God. The idols of our world, God, I pray that we would repent of our idolatry and come to you today, Lord. Do a work in our kids' ministry and draw those, those children to you as well, God. We love you. We are uh, we're excited to be alive at this time, God, for we know, Lord, that your return draws near and near every single day. So, God, would you speak through me? Would you encourage? Would you heal? Would you bring hope to your people today? Restore broken marriages. Bring back children to their fathers and their mothers. Restore broken marriages and broken relationships between sons or between kids and, and their parents. God, do a, just a miraculous work, Lord, for those of us here and even for those of us watching online as well. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2017 was a big year for, for myself and my family. Uh, I like to say that we gave birth to two kids that year. Uh, one of the children we gave birth to was the church, <laughs> and the other child was my son, Ezra. And this was in the, the, the spring of 2017. You know, every mother here, you can testify to this, every mom knows when the birth of their, of their child is drawing near and near. They know this primarily through contractions, right? So when a mother begins to have these contractions, that's, a, that's a, a sign, a pretty good sign, of course. But then what happens after that? Well, we know this. We know that those contractions increase in frequency and also intensity. We, we know this, right? And so uh, we were getting closer to his birth, so much so that I, I remember uh, it was a... Uh, I don't, well, maybe a Friday night or Thursday night. I can't remember. But my wife packed an overnight bag because she knew, I mean, we we're getting close here. And she wanted to be ready, right? She wanted to be ready in case we had to get up and fly out the door. Sure enough, the next morning, she wakes up about 6 a.m. And she rolls over towards me and kind of grabs my arm. You know what I mean? Like, like kind of rough to look hard. Like, like it's just a power grip. I was like, whoa. And she's like, babe, we got to go. I was like, oh, she ain't playing around, right? She's not playing. They jump out of bed. We get ready, and then we're off to the hospital. Sure enough, just a few hours later, we gave birth to our, our baby boy, Ezra, and it was a, a beautiful, glorious day. It was such a, a joyous occasion in our lives, of course. But listen, the, the birth pains were a sign of the, the, the birth of our son. 
Now, think about that, because in the same way, this is what Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, which we'll look at in just a few more moments. Jesus says that the signs of the end times are going to be like birth pains. What does that mean? It means this. It means that the signs of his return will increase in frequency and they will increase with intensity until he comes back. And this is what we see happening in the scripture and we even see this, of course, happening in our world today. So today, again, I want to speak on seven signs of the return of Jesus. Seven signs of the return of Jesus. Now, let me say two things uh, from the get-go, number one, Jesus never gave his disciples a specific date. So he didn't say, hey, just so you know, you know, January of 2024, like I'm coming back, just so you know. So get ready. He gave them signs because signs always point to something else. Signs were an indicator of the times that they the, the disciples and us today would find ourselves in, and we could be aware of what to look for, okay? So Jesus never gives a specific date. So if someone gives you a specific date of when he's coming back, you might just want to run the other direction, right? Just go the other way. There was a book, no kidding, no lie here. There was a book in 1988, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. Well, guess what? That didn't happen, did it? So you know what the writer did? He wrote another book in 1989. Well, that didn't happen either. So he wrote another book in 1993 and 1994. And guess what? Those books didn't do so well, right? No one bought those books. Why? Because it didn't happen, but you can't really predict to a, to a specific date or even a year necessarily when the return of Jesus will take place. Now, the second thing that I want to mention here this morning as we begin is that Jesus here in Matthew 24 says that when he returns, that, or up to the point of his return, that the world would experience great distress like it's never seen before. Like from the beginning of time, the world would see this great distress like it's never seen before. Now, most Bible teachers and theologians agree that this is known as the tribulation. Now, the tribulation, again, it's kind of common understanding the tribulation is a seven-year period. Now, how do you know that, Pastor Marco? Well, Daniel, I think it's Daniel chapter 9, prophesies about this seven-year period, and there's some numbers in there and some math. It's kind of difficult to do. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. We will be in Daniel as a part of our series, okay? It's a seven-year period. But then there's also a part of this seven-year period, if you cut it in half, that's three and a half years. The second three and a half years would be characterized by great distress, great distress, great trouble. Some people call it the great tribulation or the Bible will call it Jacob's trouble. You may have heard that term before. The great tribulation or Jacob's trouble. So Jesus is actually referring to the great tribulation here in Matthew chapter 24 of these things happening, the, the chaos in the world ensuing. And really the last three and a half years is this idea, we, we read about it in Revelation, of God pouring out his wrath on a stubborn and rebellious mankind. It's God pouring out his wrath. And so we know these two things as we step into Matthew chapter 24. So here's what I want to do. Let's pick it up in verse number three, 
And we'll find, we'll look for seven signs of the return of Jesus. Here we go. Now, verse number three. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, where, or excuse me, rather, when will this happen? And what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, let me just, let me just say this real quick. Uh, if you look in the verses before this, the disciples are asking about the destruction of the temple. When will this happen? Now, this has already actually happened. If you study history, uh, you know this happened in 70 AD. This was under General Titus. The Romans, they besieged Jerusalem, completely destroyed the second temple. Now, the Bible prophesies about a third temple that will be built in Jerusalem. And I want to just tell you that, that's, that there are plans for that already. It's real. It's not a conspiracy theory. Like, it's a real thing, okay? There are plans for a third temple to be Bill. So some will say, technically, haven't we been in the end times since 70 AD? Well, in some sense, yes. In some sense, no, right? Because there are other signs that Jesus will refer to. Number two, they're asking this. What are the signs, Jesus, of your return and when the age, the end of the age will take place? Let's keep going. Verse number four. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. This is what we referred to last week. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Right? Don't, don't be alarmed. In other words, people of God, listen, this shouldn't surprise us. The turmoil we see in our world, it really shouldn't surprise us. Now, it can disturb us. It can make us a bit afraid. That's normal. But it shouldn't surprise us. So Jesus says, right, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen but the end is still to come. Sign number one, it's from verse number six. Jesus said that we will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Wars and rumors of war. It's estimated that at least 108 million people have died in this past century from wars in the 20th century. 100 million people killed in wars in the 20th century. Estimates for the total number killed in wars throughout all of human history range from 150 million to 1 billion people being killed in war. That's like astronomical, astounding. I'll think about this for just a few moments. In the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, we see... The fall of mankind, Adam and Eve take of the fruit, of course. And there is a vertical separation from God. It's vertical. But in chapter 4, the very next chapter of the Bible, it is not simply vertical separation, but now it's horizontal separation. What does that mean? It means that you and I are going to be opposed to one another. It means that we're going to fight ourselves. We're going to be, we're, there's a separation between you and me. Because of pride, because of all the, the brokenness in our lives. And we, we see that happening, of course, in our world today. We've all experienced this on a firsthand basis. How do we know that? Well, it's the story of Cain and Abel. Cain slays his own brother, Abel. And so now a result of sin is that there's a separation between mankind, between people and people. War has always been a part of human history, so we know this. Right now, there's, uh, there's still a war in, in Russia and Ukraine, to my knowledge. The war rages on in the Middle East between Israel and, and, and Hamas, and things are escalating there as well. Iran continues to, 
to taunt and to make threats that they will be involved, right? We see Hezbollah from the north. We see Yemen. The Houthis have shot over missiles over to Israel, threatening to become involved as well. So these things are escalating, and the world watches. The world watches. All eyes are on this small piece of land in the Middle East. It should be no surprise to Christians. No surprise to Christians. Wars are going to happen. They are a they are a byproduct of the brokenness in our humanity. Wars and rumors of wars. Go with me to verse number seven. Jesus says this: Nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus says they're the beginning of birth pains. It's not even like the the end result, the end thing. The beginnings. It's like, are you serious? Are you saying it's going to get worse? And Well, that's what he's saying, yes. Sign number two of the return of Jesus. It's this. Nation will rise against nation. Now, notice the word behind me. Uh, in parentheses here, the Greek word for nation is the word ethnos or ethnos, however you want to pronounce that. It's the word really, it's referring to what? To, to people groups. People groups rising up against people groups. Different people of different ethnicities rising up in hatred against other people of different ethnicities. Now, I just even think about our nation over the last few weeks, ever since October 7th, when Hamas invaded Israel, there has been a steep, steep rise in anti-Semitism in our country. A steep rise in anti-Semitism in our country. We see demonstrators chanting Hamas slogans. And by the way, did you know that word Hamas in the Hebrew means violence? Violence. We see swastikas being painted on synagogues. We see uh, anti-Semitic gestures and, 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 and comments on, on the internet, on social media, right? Of course, our nation uh, is, is no stranger to the ugliness of racism. Of course, we, we know this. People group rising against other people groups in hatred. Jesus spoke of it, and we see it more and more uh, today than ever before. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hatred towards the Jewish people. It seems to be almost acceptable in our day and age because they don't just hate the Jews, they hate God. It's true. They don't just hate the Jewish people, they hate God. Sign number three. Jesus said that there will be famines and earthquakes or natural disasters in various places. In other words, things in the natural world will be stirred up, famines and earthquakes. I wanted to do a little bit of research to just kind of figure out how many earthquakes with a serious magnitude have we experienced just in 2023 alone, right? So what I did is I went to the U.S. Geological Survey's website, and I discovered this, that in 2023 alone, there have been approximately 77 earthquakes throughout the world measuring at 6.0 and above on the Richter scale. 77 earthquakes. I mean, 6.0 is a significant number, right? It's going to do some significant damage. The biggest earthquake of this year took place um, in the wintertime, and I think it was February 7th, if I'm not mistaken, or February 6th where a series of earthquakes, listen to this, killed 
over 55,000 people in Turkey and in Syria, which is already war ravaged. There's a giant civil war, humanitarian crisis in Syria, and then an earthquake on top of this, killing 55,000 people, injuring 100,000 more. My goodness, go ahead and put that photo up from the earthquake. You can just see in one photo the, the damage done there. We certainly see a rise of occurrence of, of even natural disasters. What, what happened just a few weeks ago, October 26, Hurricane Otis, will you put that photograph up? It was a Category 5 hurricane slammed into Acapulco, Mexico, killing at least 100 people. Now, just for a moment, look at the shoreline. Look at the hotels, how destroyed they are. Look at the land. I mean, just a massive Hurricane, and we, we see these things happening more and more and more. By the way, this is going to be a pretty sobering message, by the way, okay, just so you know. So if you're expecting to go home like, yeah, yeah, well, there is a challenge at the end, though. It's for a purpose. It's for a reason. Jesus talks about it. We should talk about it. Amen? Let's continue. Verse number 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations, and notice what it says at the end, because of me, because of Jesus. So that's, that's hatred towards Christians as well, because of the name of Jesus. So sign number four of Jesus' return, intense persecution of the church, intense Persecution of the church. Now listen, uh, intense persecution of the church has always been a thing, just in case you didn't know it. Just go ahead and read Acts. The book of Acts, go home and read that. And you're going to find out that Paul was beaten up pretty bad, thrown in prison. Um, I mean, all kinds of stuff took place in world history. You can read about it for yourself, right? But we see a rise in that persecution even happening today in America, here in our, in our own country, you know. What we see right now happening is that uh, so often now there is a, a, a real aggressive push, a push towards Judeo and Christian values being pushed out of our society, right? pushed out into the margins of our society so other ideologies can kind of creep in and make their home in our country today. These, again, these uh, sexual identity ideologies, these social justice ideologies are all front and center now, and it's pushing other values out to the, the wayside, the margins, listen, of our nation. Now today, listen, if you hold a sexual ethic that stems from the, the New Testament, what does that mean? That means if you're married, you only have sex with your spouse. If you're not married, you wait until you have sex, until you get married. That's the sexual ethic of the New Testament. To now have that worldview and live out that doctrine, live out what Jesus spoke about, listen, is, to, is now the world would say that we're bigoted, that we're, that we're hateful, that we're narrow-minded. That's the reality of, of the times that we find ourselves in right now, right? The ethics, the sexual ethics of the New Testament, if they're lived out truly, it leads to human flourishing 100%, okay? But even those now are viewed as being intolerant or hateful. There was one point in history where if you were a Christian, like you were seen as an upstanding or maybe an outstanding citizen in your village, in your society, in your city or whatnot, 
not so often. It's, a, it's, it's actually changed. So often if you, you claim Christian Judeo values, it, it can be a blemish on your reputation. It can tar your reputation. It can open yourself up for mockery and insults. Oh, you believe that? That's so intolerant. Oh, you're so hateful. Bigoted Christians, stupid Christians. Like, right? You're, you're opening yourself up now to the hate of the world. So there, there is even an intense persecution now here in the States more. Now, I pray it doesn't get like it is the rest of the world, but it's rising here. Open Doors USA, which is a, an organization that supports uh, Christians all throughout the world, persecuted Christians specifically, they have given this report. They have said this, over 360 million Christians face persecution and discrimination every day, every single day. In fact, I want you to listen to these stats. More Christians are killed in Nigeria than all other countries combined. In Yemen, I mentioned Yemen earlier, there is a major, major humanitarian crisis. You can do the research, you can Google it if you want, happening there. Now listen, there, Christians are deliberately overlooked when it comes to humanitarian aid and are either expelled or they're killed by their own tribe. Now, check this out. In North Korea, you probably already knew this, but in North Korea, it is the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. In North Korea, if you're discovered to be a Christian, you will be killed. Flat out. Number one, you will be executed, or number two, you will be sent to a labor camp, and you will be worked to death. This is happening right now in our world. Not like, not, not like this used to happen. This is the thing now. This is occurring today. And it's ramping up, and I pray again. I hope we don't have to see it like this in the U.S., but we, we may have to see a little bit of pressure, amen? Because under pressure, the church grows. And we can find out, you know, kind of who's in, who's out, so to speak, right? Because there's a cost. There's a, there's a cost. We'll talk about that in a few moments, right? So persecution of Christians uh, worldwide had, worldwide has always been the case, but things are certainly intensifying around the globe and here in the United States. Verse number 12, let's continue. Because of the increase of wickedness, Jesus says, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who what? Stands firm to the end will be saved. So sign number five, what is the sign number five? This, the increase of wickedness. The increase of wickedness. Now, now, church, listen. This is not a trick question, I promise you. If you just, like, turn on the news, if you just go on YouTube and you, you know, search out your favorite news network and you try to find, like, the highlights and the clips, you look in our state, you look in our nation, you look around the world. Let me just ask you a question. Are things getting better or worse? Worse, like, like morally worse, like violence worse. Better in some regards, maybe in a few spots, like the church is growing, certainly in parts of the world, and people are coming to faith. And so it's not like all bad, okay? It's not what I'm saying. But I mean, generally speaking, like the moral decay in our society is severe. And so what we, it's not meant to be a trick question. It's not meant to scare you, but again, they just kind of bring you into reality, just a little bit, just kind of pull you in just a bit, right? That we see this, this issue growing worse, and even worse in today's world. Verse number 14. And the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus says, 
will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus says this, that the gospel of the kingdom, sign number six, the gospel preached throughout the whole world. The gospel preached throughout the whole world. Jesus said that this must happen before the end happens. And right now, listen, we live in a time and day where this is more possible than it's ever been in history, right? We think about the internet. We think about radio broadcasts. We think about television broadcasts. Now we have even, like, we have Christian television networks. We have the messages going out throughout the entire world, which is astounding. People are getting saved in every nation right here in, in our globe. I want to read you some stats here that I discovered this week. While official reports still claim, listen to this, this is from Iran, by the way, Middle East, right? Official reports claim that 99.4% of Iranians practice Islam. A 2020 survey found that just 40% actually identify as Muslim. Okay, so... 99% say they are practicing Islam, but only 40% really are truly identifying as Muslim. Let's keep going. An even larger number, about 47% of people in Iran, said they were nuns. Not Catholic nuns, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, nuns are N-O-N-E-S, no religious affiliation with nothing. So they're agnostic, right? Perhaps they're atheistic, they're spiritual, (laughs) they're humanist. Okay, 47% like are not practicing any religion. And listen to this, a small sliver, 1.5% said they were Christians. And that, those are just who said they were Christians because it's illegal to be a Christian in Iran. Check this out. According to an article in the Gospel Coalition, about 20 years ago, the number of Christian converts from a Muslim background was between 5,000 and 10,000 people. Today, that's between 800,000 to 1 million people. That's massive growth. Massive growth. According to Operation World, Iran has the fastest growing evangelical movement in the world. More people are coming to faith in Iran than anywhere throughout the whole world. I wish that would be here, though, don't you? But we have too much money and we're too comfortable, so that's not going to happen right now. Okay, Iran doesn't have that, so but we do. So I think that's probably an obstacle. And I say that. Listen, I like comfort. I like money, just like you do. Okay, never met someone who didn't. But in our world, in our country, because we have those comforts, there's no pressure, right? But but the pressure is increasing. I, I want to just say this: that the church always grows into persecution. It always thrives when it's being persecuted. It never grows when it just can be fat and lazy. It just never grows. But when it's under persecution, under pressure, the church grows. In a place where it's illegal to be a Christian, the church is growing at a very rapid rate. The gospel is being preached throughout the entire world. Look at verse number 15. So when you see, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel... Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. Okay, sign number seven. 
This is our last sign. The emergence of the Antichrist. The emergence of the Antichrist. Now, let me just describe this to you because for some of you, I understand this is like new to you. You're like, what are you talking about right now? So Jesus uses this phrase, right? The abomination that causes desolation. What is he doing? He's pulling that from the prophet Daniel. Three different places in Daniel uses this, this title for the Antichrist. Now, John, who writes, of course, the Gospel of John, he writes Revelation, John calls him the beast. Paul has called him the man of lawlessness. So there are several different titles. Now, we'll probably spend a whole message on the Antichrist. It won't be right now. So I'm just covering the basics super quick for you. Who is this Antichrist? What is, what's going on with him? Why does Jesus say that when he is emerged on a public platform or the world stage that the end will come? Well, let me just summarize it super quick for you. Here's the idea. The idea is this, is that there will be a world leader, according to Scripture, according to prophecy, that will emerge on the world stage, and he will be... Uh, he will bring peace to the Middle East. It will be, he'll be, it'll be amazing. It will be glorious. But three and a half years into this, he will break that treaty. He would demand that people worship him. And then he will unleash a, a wrath that comes from Satan. And Jesus says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing or in the temple, which again is prophesied about Ezekiel as well. Listen, Jesus is like, hey, take heed, be warned. I told you, I told you it was coming. I'm just letting you know. I told you right now. Like I'm telling you right now so that you know when it happens. So when the emergence of the Antichrist takes place, we know truly that the end will happen. An abomination is something that causes hatred or disgust. Okay? Uh, desolation is a state of complete emptiness or destruction. Now, check this out. Jesus here is quoting the prophet Daniel, who used this phrase three different times some 200 years before the time of Jesus. Check this out as well. Some scholars think if you're more, uh, it depends on how you uh, look at eschatology, your view of eschatology. Some scholars say this was already... This was already fulfilled. Antiochus Epiphanes IV. You may have heard of him. He's a Greek ruler. When the Greeks took over Israel, they, they destroyed the, the uh, expelled people, destroyed the temple. So Antiochus Epiphanes IV goes in the temple. He slits a pig's throat and gets blood all over, right? And what does he do? He desecrates the temple. Okay, so some scholars are like, hey, it's already happened. It's already fulfilled. But I want you to notice that Jesus is referencing Daniel in, in the sense that it actually hasn't already been fulfilled. It's a future event yet to come. So I'm a futurist. What, 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 that, what that means when it comes to eschatology is that I'm looking at the Bible and, and I'm, I'm looking at it that, that many of what's spoken of in the Bible have not yet come to pass. There is a lot that's come to pass, certainly, right? But there's much more that still has not yet come to pass. And I think the abomination of desolation is yet still to be fulfilled. There's a partial fulfillment we see and we can recognize, and I would agree with scholars who, who would say that, but I would just simply say, well, that's not in its fullness or that it's not in its complete picture because Jesus spoke about it 200 years after Daniel of a ruler who would claim to bring peace but then break that peace treaty, the abomination that brings desolation. So in summary, Jesus said this, that when we begin to see things take place in nature, in the spiritual realm, and in the physical realm, 
We need to be warned. We need to look up. We need to, to be watchful. Okay? Now, I got a few more minutes with you left. Perfect timing here. By now, in my message, we, we've looked at seven signs of the return of Jesus. By now, some of you are probably saying this. Oh, crap. <laughs> or you may have said another choice word, right? Under your breath. And, and if you said, oh, crap, or something else, I want you to know that's, that's a pretty good response. Like, that's a normal, good response. In fact, my job here for you today, my job is not to take all the fear away from you. My job is to let you sit in some of that because when we are, when we are dealing with reality, it gives us a sense of urgency. So my job here is not to just make you feel all coddly and give you a blanket and a little, you know, passy and say, it's going to be okay. It's fine, right? My, my job rather is to say, here is the reality of what we see in our world today. Jesus spoke of it. And listen, I want you to wake up and I want you to make some choices. I want you to think about your future. As your pastor, as your shepherd, I love you. And I want you to be the one who stand, stands firm until the end. Because that's the person who will be saved. You can clap your hands. Good moment to clap, church. Amen. Yeah, some of the woo-woo right at this. How are we going to end this bad boy? How are we going to land this plane? I'll show you how. Let's go to verse number 36. It gets better. Verse number 36. But about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So remember, if anyone gives you a date, just run the other direction. Skip to verse number 42. We're going to finish out the chapter. Skip to verse number 42. This is important. This is really important. Because Jesus is about to challenge all of us today, okay? These are the words of Jesus. These are not my words, so you can be mad at him, not me. Verse number 42, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into, right? He would have been waiting with his shotgun, of course. Verse 44, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Verse 45, Notice Jesus is about to shift into a parable now, a short story. This has profound implications for what he's already said to us. 45, who then is the faithful and the wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in the household to give to them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him, listen to this, doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Verse 48. But suppose that servant is wicked. Now, this is interesting because Jesus has told us about a faithful and wise servant. But I love Jesus. He's about to flip the script on us. He's like, ah, you know what, for funsies, let's just say he's not a good servant. He's wicked. Well, let's just look at that for just a few moments. He's clever. He's an incredible storyteller. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. Guess who the master is? It's Jesus himself, the Lord returning. And he then begins to what? To beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. So he's, he's misusing his authority, his responsibility, and he's indulging in ungodly behavior. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces. I'm not sure if that's literal. I, thought, I don't think it is, but it might be. 
and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, interesting thought about this last phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you go to BibleGateway.com, type in the phrase in the search bar, weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're going to see all the places. Good exegesis, by the way. Good interpretation of the scripture because scripture interprets scripture. So you find a phrase and then you want to find out where it's used also in the Bible, how it's used, and what most likely that writer is using it in the way he uses it. That's good grammatical historical exegesis. Just so you know, if you want to study the Bible, that's a great way to do it. When you look at that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew uses it several times. Jesus uses it. Do you know what it is in regards of? hell. I'm not even going to try to like sugarcoat that. I'm just going to let you sit with that. As far as cutting in the pieces, well, I'm not sure. I need to look, do some background commentary work and some scholarship work to figure out if that's a, if that's a literal thing or is, he, is, he, is it more of a figurative because, it, you know, we see that language being used in the Bible, figurative, literal, blah, blah, blah. So, but I want you to notice what Jesus is doing. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Brilliant, because Jesus has told us about the, the, the seven signs. He's talked about four obstacles to our faith. It's a pretty grim message. And then he ends this part. He, he's going to go into Matthew 25 because it continues. So read Matthew 25. You're blown away because like, Jesus keeps talking about this with more parables. It's amazing. So Jesus continues, but he ends 24 by bringing up this what? This story of this parable. And one story is of a wise and faithful servant. The wise and faithful servant is what? Is doing the work that his master has asked him to do. And when the master comes home, right, the master is pleased. He puts him in charge of all kinds of possessions, right? That's the guy. Jesus is saying, you want to be like him. Jesus is saying, he's saying this, but there's also another alternative to the story, right? There's a, there's, a, there's a wicked servant. Now, the wicked servant is basically like this. Hey, you know what? Uh, <laughs> Jesus hasn't come back, and I don't know if it really is. I mean, I think that whole thing's kind of a bunch of bleep, bleep, right? And you know what? I'm just going to do me. Hey, what you doing tonight? You want to go to Jake's? You want to have a few drinks? And we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna party it up, and we're, we're going to do what we got to do, and, and I don't need a law. I don't need, I don't need rules. I'm my own God, I, I can judge my own morality, right? I'm just going to do me. And you know what? I got tomorrow. I'll get my life together tomorrow because he hasn't come back yet anyways. And Jesus is really breaking this down. He's saying, listen, when it comes to all these things I just talked about, there's only two choices. You can be like the faithful and wise servant or you can be like the wicked servant. So you got to choose. That's it. Like, that's it. That's it. Like, it's so simple. Like, it's so simple. Like, Jesus is so good to us. He's so kind to us. He just, he just says, listen, I just want to make this easy for you, right? Be like the faithful wise servant. Don't be like that moron, the wicked servant. He wasn't ready. He was full of what? Of cynicism, of skepticism. Ah, yeah, psh, stupid. Ah, Jesus, ah, whatever, man. Like, just do my stuff. Whatever, man. So, so I'm not perfect, right? So what? I'm not perfect, right? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. All this talk, 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 talk. All this skepticism, all this cynicism, all, right? All these things emerging. And Jesus is like, listen, he's going to come on a day, and he's going to go to a place of weeping and gnashing. And Jesus is like, you don't want to go there, okay? And, and can I just say, this is, this, is, this is it. This is how we're going to end it. <laughs> Seriously. You got two choices, right? James, you can play. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You got two choices, right? 
It's the faithful and wise servant. It's the wicked servant. Who do you want to be like? Who are you supposed to emulate, right? Now, I, I understand, but Pastor Marco, I still have questions, and that's fine. That's, that's it's totally fine. It's totally fine, okay? Acceptable, 100%. But still, I just want to ask you, church, you must do, what, what will you do with the name of Jesus? That's it, right there, like right there. Well, you know, I think the earth is only 6,000 years old. And some people say, well, no, it's a millions of years old. Hey, what do you think about the, the gap in Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2? I don't know. Like, what are you going to do with Jesus? Hey, I don't know. I mean, what about the dinosaurs? You know, I got to figure out where the dinosaurs came from. Is that Leviathan or Behemoth or what is that? I'm not sure, dude. Okay? But what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with you? Some of us, we want to dance around the issues so much that we won't make a choice, but that choice will be made for us. It'll be made for us. So don't, listen, don't skirt around it. And I don't say this to condemn you because I love you. I love this church. The church is growing. We're thriving in the midst of the chaos in our world. This church is growing. It's, man, good things are happening here. Amen, right? Right. And, and this city, I love my city. And good things will happen more in our city. And, and I, I believe that, truly believe that. I really do. It's a conviction in my heart. Like, I, I do really believe it. But we got to make a choice, right? you, you got to make a decision. Like, who will we serve? What will you do with the name of Jesus? Like, it's not simple, you guys. Like, it's so simple. Like, I don't even know. Like, what should I do for the next couple of minutes here? I could just... <laughs> I know what we'll do. We'll pray together. Why don't we do that? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And thank you, Lord, for these truths. Although they might be very difficult to hear, Father, we thank you for them, for we are not here to be coddled. We are not here to receive a warm blanket. We are here to know the truth. We are here to be confronted with your Son, Jesus Christ. God, that, that question, what will we do with Jesus? Will we play into the narratives of our world? Or will we align ourselves with, with Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one who said he would return? Father, we want to be a church, Lord, uh, that when you come back, you say to us, well done, good and faithful servants. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would, you would put that question on all of our hearts, God, and that we would walk away with a sober, a sober reality check, Lord, of what you're up to when it comes to Scripture and the end times, Lord. So, Father, we pray that you would forgive us of our sin, that we would forgive us of our cynicism and skepticism, and that we would turn to Christ and we would repent of sin. We would turn away from sexual immorality. We would turn away from sleeping with other girls that were not our, 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 our husband or wife. We would turn to shacking up with people. We would turn away, away from those things. Finally, just make a decision and to follow you. And when we follow you, there will be a blessing. Although we will be persecuted in the end, we know there's a blessing for those who obey you. We will be saved. And Lord, that's what we want. That's what we want more than anything is to know you. So Lord, thank you for these verses because they're hard to swallow, but it's the truth that we need, God. There is no time to waste. The hour is now to make a choice. Jesus, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, let's clap our hands for him this morning.